Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9 a.m. on the dot Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 3rd of November, 2022. This is episode 639 of Bitcoin and Boost. I've got Boostagrams. I've only got two, though. So we're going to go ahead and clear those out right now. But before I do, I do need to say that last week uh, and the beginning of this week, I was actually still in the top 10 on fountain on the fountain charts <coughs> for podcast, which made me really, really happy because you know, that the time that I was number one for like a, a full week was because of a snafu. It was an actual, you know, it was an actual mistake. I shouldn't have been number one. But this time I was actually number six when I looked uh, last week and had was there for like at least a couple of days. Uh, so thank you. That, because that I don't think was a, I don't think that was a fluke. I think that was actual, you know, genuine charting process and the only people that i have to thank for it is you guys y'all are the guys that put me there uh i think as of last night or this morning i'm back down to under uh, i'm off the top 10 into the 13th or 14th spot so i'd appreciate getting back into the top 10 uh and i can't do it myself because i don't I don't have like a fake account where i boost myself up and i'm not i'm not saying that any of the other guys do that but I, what I am saying is that it is possible and I'm not going to do that because that doesn't, honestly, that doesn't help me. It doesn't let me actually have real information as to how this show is doing and whatnot. So I am depending on you guys to see if, if you know, if you want, if you got some extra sats laying around, do some boostograms and uh, see if I can get back into the top 10 before the, uh, before, you know, uh, the end of the week. So that would be cool. So. Boostograms. Letter 6173 says, at Fountain, win Apple CarPlay support. Yeah. See, that's one of the things about these, these, little, these little things that we've gotten used to in podcasting 1.0 on apps. You know, because all these guys had tremendously, you know, they had tremendous teams. They had great programmers and app developers. And every single little thing that we take for granted is actually not a little thing to develop. It's a great big thing because like Apple CarPlay support, I'd love to see it in Fountain, but let's, you know, let's take a a breath and think about what, what on earth does that take to actually do, right? You've got to go find, you know, well, I mean, it's not hard to find, but you got to go get the Apple CarPlay you know, stuff and pull it, you know, pull it apart, see how it works. What is it, what they want, what are the specs? And then you got to start actually building that into your app without breaking anything that already works. See, that's one of the huge problems with software development is that, yeah, we can add it. We're going to break 10 things, but yeah, sure. We can add it, you know? So I would love to see Apple CarPlay support for Fountain I'd like to see a, a bunch of other stuff for Fountain, but it's a relatively small team, which is one of the reasons I keep saying, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. And I use Fountain app and no, they're not a sponsor. I just, I want to see these guys do well. I really do. You know, I, you know, Sphinx chat is still around, you know, and there's a couple of other, you know, a couple of other, you know, Fountain or a, uh, podcasting 2.0 apps that are still that are around and if you want to go find something other than fountain go to podcast uh, what podcastapps.com and or newpodcastapps.com and you'll find something other than fountain but i i recommend fountain because it works very very well 
It's very streamlined. It's very stable. Doesn't heat up your phone. And it used to, but they fixed that shit. And if we can support them, then they can possibly get enough money together to hire people that can do the things about giving us like Apple CarPlay or being able to tap my earbuds and fast forward 30 seconds, you know, things like that, that seem small are not all that small and takes a lot of work to actually put together. So if you want to support the fountain app guys and and get them to a position where they can give us some of these really cool things, uh, then download the fountain app and and get that shit going on. Pitar with 5,000. Oh, by the way, letter 6173 sent a striper boost, just so you know, uh, Pitar with 5,000 sat says, The inevitable deployment of miners by oil companies to increase revenue is an incredible development, which I encourage. Washing out the weaker miners is called the free market. There are no sacred cows in Bitcoin. Sorry. Yeah, no shit. I still think that that is very much on deck. I think Exxon, Sinclair, you know, I don't know, Texaco, if there's, you know, they got absorbed by, I think it was mobile. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I'm just, you know, the thing is, is that the big oil guys are looking at this as a, as a solution to a problem they've always had, right? And it's not just a problem about, God, we're releasing methane into the atmosphere. Oh, they probably don't care as much as you think they care. And I'll bet you in my ass, they don't care as much as they say they care because that's just the ESG narrative. But I'll tell you what they do give a shit about is they know it's wasted energy and, they, and they've got to deal with it and it costs them money. And if they can deal with it in a way that doesn't cost them money, but at least breaks even, they're going to do it and they have the money to do it. And that's what's going to happen. And we're going to see, you know, in the rest of the show, there's yet another miner that is in trouble. You know, it's, it's not going to end anytime soon. We're, we're deep, deep, deep in crypto winter, okay? That's just the way it is, and you got to wait it out. You got to have patience, man. Patience is one of the hardest things that you'll ever be able to develop, and God knows I've got more patience than I probably should. But let's start with this one. The hawkish, or rather dovish, then hawkish, what Fed Chair Powell said that crashed the markets. Nomcios is writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. Let's find out what the hell happened yesterday. The Federal Open Markets Committee, the FOMAC, the U.S. central bank's body responsible for setting monetary policy, raised interest rates by 75 basis points yesterday for the fourth consecutive time as Federal Reserve governors attempt to battle stubborn inflation levels in the country. Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve and the FOMAC, joined a group of journalists for a press conference shortly after the data release shedding more light on the central bank's thoughts for future action, markets reacted positively to the 0.75% interest rate increase, which came in as expected, but trading became more volatile as the chairman started his speech. While the written statement announcing the interest rate decision showed a new dovish sentence further fueling the rally, Powell's press conference combated that feeling as the Fed chair reiterated previous guidance. Quote, In determining the pace of future increases in the target range, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments, the FOMAC statement read, hinting at a more dovish Fed. Powell, however, highlighted that the ultimate level of rates will be higher than previously expected, triggering an acute market downturn. The feeling markets are left with is of confirmation that a slowdown is near, but surprise when it comes to the terminal funds rate, something that can be attested to by the upswing and consequent downswing in the S&P 500 index. Bitcoin mirrored stock market moves, albeit falling less in percentage terms. At the time of writing, BTC is accumulating a 1% drawdown, while the S&P 500 ended the trading day bleeding by over double that amount at 2.39%. The NASDAQ was seeing a similar fate, but extended its losses to 3.15%. 
The fact that Bitcoin has been the least volatile of the three is quite remarkable as it defies history and mainstream media narratives altogether. While the peer-to-peer -peer currency is still correlated with stocks, it isn't the one doing the most severe swings and that is going by unnoticed. Yeah, it is going by unnoticed. It's odd. You'd think it would be more volatile, except that 78% of all the Bitcoin held in wallets hasn't moved in over a year. And that's actually quite remarkable all by itself, right? So nobody's, I mean, 78% of the market is basically saying, eh, I don't give a shit. You know, I'm just going to hold on to my Bitcoin. So all the volatility that you do see is by the, the free floating Bitcoin that's in circulation that is not held by really strong hands. And therefore the swings are much less volatile. Whereas in the stock market, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Nobody knows where we're gonna go. Nobody knows what the hell Fed Chair Powell is actually thinking. So therefore the volatility has shifted from something like Bitcoin all the way over to the S&P, the NASDAQ, the Dow. You know, it's, it's amazing, it's beautiful, and it is going, like Namcio said, completely unnoticed. Now, over to England, across the pond, the Bank of England has raised their interest rates to 3%, which is the largest jump in 33 years. And apparently the number 33 is a is an important number and I'm not sure why somebody tell me in a boostagram coin telegraph, Joseph Hall, <coughs> desperate times call for desperate measures. The bank of England, effectively the United Kingdom's version of the federal reserve has raised interest rates by the highest rate in 33 years. The bank of England's bank rate or the cost of borrowing money rose by 0.75% to 3%. According to the Monetary Policy Committee, the Bank of England voted by a majority of 7 to 2 to increase rates to 3%. The UK is battling with high double-digit inflation. The economic situation has not improved in recent months. The UK recorded a 10.1% inflation in October, the second time in three months. The MPC is responsible for setting official interest rates in the United Kingdom, and its report noted, quote, Inflation is just too high. It is well above our 2% target. It's our job to make sure that inflation returns to our 2% target. Yeah, what does that sound like? Danny Scott, CEO of UK-based Bitcoin exchange Coin Corner, shed light on the situation. Scott told Cointelegraph, quote, People have gotten used to cheap money being readily available and lifestyles have changed as a consequence. The music is now stopping and people will be facing a new reality, end quote. Further quote, the struggle will get worse for things like first-time buyers trying to get a mortgage. It's becoming a dire situation for people getting onto the property ladder, end quote. <clears throat> The pound sterling tumbled to $1.12 upon the news as investors lost confidence. It recently hit $1.04, an all-time low, and another indicator of warning investor, waning investor confidence. The pound rose to a recent high against Bitcoin, kissing 18,000 euros per one BTC. Interest in crypto has been burgeoning in such an environment. British pound trading volume soared. 1,150% in September, while the United Kingdom recently hosted the Bitcoin Collective Conference, which was attended by members of Parliament, Lisa Cameron, the chairperson of the Crypto and Digital Assets All-Party Parliamentary Group. Cameron affirmed to Cointelegraph in an exclusive interview that the UK will become an international hub of crypto and digital assets. However, various challenges and regulatory hurdles stand in the way. Stablecoins were recently renamed by the group, and the new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has expressed interest in crypto. Uh, crypto. Notwithstanding, the economic backdrop in the United Kingdom is increasingly concerning. British economist Ed Conway commented that the UK is already in a recession, which could be the longest since records began. Scott from Coin Corner concurred. He told Cointelegraph, quote, recession is well and truly underway, end quote. The MPC predicts inflation will fall sharply starting in the middle of 2023. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on it. But let's talk about Rishi Sunak for a little bit. That's the new 
prime minister of the UK and <clears throat> he's he likes crypto or does he? I don't know. Could Rishi Sunak be Bitcoin's October surprise? Jacob Kozapot from Bitcoin Magazine tells us about it. The phrase October surprise is used in politics to describe a last minute paradigm shifting event that occurs a month before an American election. For example, in 2016, the FBI reopened their investigation into Hillary Clinton's private email server, an event which many argue led to her loss in the 2020 election. In 2020, then-President Donald Trump contracted COVID-19 just weeks before the November election. Bitcoin markets are in need of a shakeup. 2022 has been a tough year for the price of Bitcoin, and right now, Bitcoin sits at roughly 65% below its price just one year ago. A far cry from the six-figure price prediction that models like Stock to Flow and longtime bulls like Tim Draper predicted. Some hope that the appointment of England's new cryptocurrency-friendly Prime Minister Rishi Sunak could be a major positive change. Sunak, considered by many to be an ally of innovation, declared a year ago that he wished that the United Kingdom would become a global hub for crypto asset technology. Can Rishi Sunak's election be the necessary October surprise to push Bitcoin forward? One of the most important questions going forward with Bitcoin is, how should governments regulate it? Gag me with a spoon. So far, the United States is a mixed bag. While some legislators like Cynthia Lummis are pushing for Bitcoin-friendly regulation, others like Pocahontas Senator Elizabeth Warren are pushing for far more critical legislation. While the perspective of the American federal government on Bitcoin is currently being debated, right now many states already have anti-Bitcoin laws in place. For example, the financial capital of the United States, New York, has been the most stringent or has the most stringent rules against cryptocurrency due to its bit license. The existence of the bit license means that Bitcoin enthusiasts are prevented from taking part in many innovations. Even mayor-elect Eric Adams had to resort to alternative, costlier means to get his first three months' salary paid in Bitcoin. Many investors, like Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary, argue that this uncertainty of regulation is causing many to avoid the space. This is where Sunak could be a game-changer. The United Kingdom's new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, can be seen as an ally for Bitcoin. Sunak's youth and Stanford pedigree make many feel as though he is open to new technology, especially one as lucrative as Bitcoin. As finance minister, Sunak pushed for tangible pro-cryptocurrency legislation. He supported the Financial Services and Markets Bill, which, according to Coindesk, is widely seen as cryptocurrency-friendly as it pushed for increased acceptance of stablecoins. Moreover, there are competitive advantages for Sunak embracing cryptocurrency. The established laws in America, in tandem with the uncertainty towards future laws, means many in the world's largest English-speaking country are looking for alternatives. This is where England could capitalize. The Bitcoin community is digitally nomadic in nature, as seen by the migration of enthusiasts to locations like Malta and Portugal. If Sunak were to create incentives for Bitcoin companies to move to places like London, it could siphon capital and talent away from America. Finally, with the United Kingdom's growing deficit problem, the nation desperately needs outside-the-box type of solutions. Nothing would be more outside of the box then for Sunak to make London the Bitcoin capital of the world. Oh God, how many times have we heard this shit before? While many Bitcoin fans are excited for Sunak's leadership, some express concern about the authenticity of his support for cryptocurrency. Many point out that Sunak's wealth and pedigreed education makes him part of the establishment and innately against the rebellious and alternative nature of Bitcoin. A prominent YouTuber, Wendy O, compared him to SEC Chair Gary Gensler. Gensler, who taught courses on digital currencies at MIT, was originally seen as pro-cryptocurrency. However, since his appointment, Gensler has frequently criticized the space and urged for increased investor protections. Sunak's support of central bank digital currencies also troubles Bitcoiners. People like Matthew Cratter of the popular show Trader University argue that CBDCs symbolize everything that is wrong with government money. For Cratter, 
The CBDCs are inherently centralized and encourage state surveillance of individuals' finances, something many Bitcoiners see as going directly against the ideals of Bitcoin. Crowder went so far as to call Sunak's version for a UK CBDC a spy coin. Sunak entered office at a time of unprecedented financial hardship in the United Kingdom. With an ever-increasing deficit, the weakening of the pound, a cost-of-living crisis, and widening wealth gap, it may be safe to assume that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency aren't at the top of his agenda. While we can't predict his relationship with Bitcoin, it should be noted that just the idea of a pro-Bitcoin prime minister could be enough to spike the asset's price. Oh, for God's sakes. At this early stage, it is impossible to predict how Sunak will directly impact the price of Bitcoin. But as of now, his background shows him to be an ally of the oft-maligned industry. Yeah, there was a statement in here saying that, you know, basically it was questioning, is he really, really for cryptocurrency or is he just saying that shit? Because we've seen that a lot. I think the only United States politician that I know of that actually put her money where her mouth was when it came to Bitcoin is Cynthia Lummis. Everybody else, like um, the mayor of Miami, uh, Eric, was it Eric Adams, the mayor, the new mayor of New York, Basically, they they talked a good game about Bitcoin, and then after the votes were counted, they basically immediately started shitcoining or shitting on Bitcoin in in a, a different way. It doesn't matter. That's what I I no longer you know it took me I don't know I've been doing this let's see I've been seeing politicians say shit about Bitcoin in a good way for uh, what a year and a half. I'm done. I'm done. They, they burnt that bridge as, as soon as they built it and walked across it. They poured gasoline on it and lit it on fire. And I'm just done. I don't trust any politician anywhere in the world that says that they're pro-Bitcoin. And I don't think you should either. I think you should automatically assume that they're lying and that they want your vote. And the minute that they get your vote, they're going to throw your ass under the bus, especially if you're a Bitcoiner. But... We've got other things to do. Bitcoin seller exhaustion hits a four-year low in typical bear market move. So let's kind of dive into what's going on with Bitcoin in the crypto winter. Coin Telegraph, William Suberg. Bitcoin sellers may not have capitulated enough, but current trends are typical of the end of bear markets. According to data from on-chain analytics firm Glassnode, seller behavior suggests that a macro price bottom is forming. In the latest hint that Bitcoin's latest bear market might be nearing its end, Glassnode has revealed that the network is currently weathering a perfect storm of low volatility and high on-chain losses. The seller exhaustion constant, calculated from one month rolling volatility, and on-chain transaction profitability is thus at long-term lows on its own. As a Twitter post explains, such lows are rare, having only appeared seven times before. Six of those times, upside volatility resulted, implying that Bitcoin could soon put an end to this bearish trend. Quote, The Bitcoin seller exhaustion constant has recorded the lowest value since November of 2018, Glassnode commented. In a subsequent discussion, lead on-chain analyst Checkmate described the data as typical of bear markets, adding that such levels occurred near the lows. The seller exhaustion constant was originally created by ARK Invest and David Puell, who's responsible for the popular Puell multiple indicator. Quote, the seller exhaustion constant shown below is a percentage of Bitcoin total circulating supply in profit multiplied by its volatility over the last 30 days, ARK analyst Yassine explained in an article last year, quote, this metric measures whether the two factors are in alignment. Specifically, the combination of low volatility and high losses is associated with capitulation, complacency, and a bottoming out of the Bitcoin price. But we're not quite there yet. Additional data on unspent transaction outputs, nonetheless, shows that current levels of BTC moved on-chain at a loss do not match historical bear market bottoms. As of October the 29th, 
The latest date for which statistics are available, 75% of UTXOs were in profit, a stark contrast to late 2018 when that tally dipped well below 50%. So what are they saying? The, a bottom may be forming, but we're not at the end of the, of the crypto winter. And we're certainly not out of the woods yet for Bitcoin. But that's, I mean, how much should we look at price at this point? Yeah, price is always going to matter. Anybody who said like, I don't look at price anymore. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. However, how much it affects your decision-making is what's really important here. Everybody looks at the price. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they say. Yeah, they're looking, they're, they are aware of what the Bitcoin price is relative to fiat terms. I'm sorry, but they are. It's what they choose to do with that information that is important. Now, like I said, 78% of, of Bitcoin that we know about hasn't moved in a year. After all this bullshit, that's the real tell. It's not what the price was during the holding, the holdening, if you, if you will, it wasn't the price. It was the holdening itself in comparison to the price. It's important to see that because if you don't see that and all you look at is the price, then you start wondering, well, then why the hell isn't everybody selling? Or conversely, why the hell isn't everybody buying? You have to look at multiple factors, right? What is the price? How long have Bitcoin is, is the majority of the Bitcoin being held? You know, what, what's the mayor multiple, you know, and, and none of this, none of this, it doesn't matter how many of these things that you, you put together and, and form a picture. If you trade on that information, you're going to get hosed because no matter what you put together, Bitcoin is always going to surprise you. Why? It's only 14 years old. If like any parents out there, did you know exactly what your 14-year-old kid was going to do and could predict that with 100% acceptable reality? <laughs> no, 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 you can't. And you got to have kids to understand that. Why would we think that a new technology is anything other than a child? It has to grow. It has to mature. It has to, I don't know, be comfortable in its own skin. I don't think Bitcoin's comfortable in its own skin. Because we are the skin, by the way. I mean, Bitcoin doesn't give a shit, but we wrap ourselves around it like we are Bitcoin's protective layer. And we are the musculature with which Bitcoin moves around the world. We are the tendons and the ligaments and the joints and the bones. We're meat sacks that have wrapped ourselves around one of the greatest technologies that is, and is great because it's so simple. There's not much to Bitcoin. This is what I love about it. That's why it's so easy for meat sacks like me to form part of its musculature or as a ligament or as a kneecap. I don't know. I mean, I don't know where my place in Bitcoin is, but I know I am a meat sack and somehow or another, I am intrinsically entwined with this technology. And because I can move, Bitcoin can move. It's not that Bitcoin isn't comfortable in its own skin. The skin isn't comfortable with the musculature, the bones, the technology. That's what's going on. But it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. One way or another, one way or another, there is an uncomfortability, if that's even a word, of the system. And there's going to be volatility. Amazingly enough, the volatility of Bitcoin right now at this moment is actually less than major legacy markets that have been around for hundreds of years. And that should be a clue. So before we get into the numbers, let's do this last one because MoneyGram is going to enable United States customers to trade and store Bitcoin and shitcoin number one, crypto potato. Anthonia Ishishi, I can't pronounce that name, but whatever. Money transfer services giant MoneyGram will now allow customers to trade and hold some major cryptocurrencies using the co company's mobile app. 
The move marks an expansion to MoneyGram's native crypto support as it previously enabled users to buy and withdraw Bitcoin in the United States. <coughs> According to a press release on Tuesday, MoneyGram introduced a new feature that will allow customers to buy, sell, and store Bitcoin, Shitcoin 1, and Shitcoin 2. The company plans to add more crypto assets, oh, for God's sakes, to its platform in 2023. The latest development was possible through a partnership with the crypto exchange CoinMe. The ability to trade and hold crypto is available to MoneyGram customers in almost all United States states and the District of Columbia. Today's announcement also expands MoneyGram's previous Bitcoin support for customers in May of 2021. The company enabled consumers to buy and withdraw BTC in several of its physical outlets across the states. A statement from MoneyGram CEO and Chairman Alex Holmes said, quote, As a next step in the evolution of MoneyGram, we are thrilled to provide our customers with access to a trusted and easy-to-use platform to securely buy, sell, and hold select cryptocurrencies, end quote. Holmes also stated that the company continues to meet customers' demands for cryptocurrency while also connecting blockchain with traditional financial services. The money transfer giant previously partnered with the likes of Ripple and Stellar. MoneyGram ditched its collaboration with the former after the United States Securities and Exchange Commission filed a lawsuit against it. So there you go. Now we get to run the numbers. Amazon pauses hiring for corporate workforce. Oh, wow. That just popped up on CNBC, Futures and Commodities. Let's get to the rest of the red. Energy. <clears throat> West Texas Intermediate Oil, 1.34% to the downside to $88.79. Brent North Sea is just under a point to the downside, holding at $95.28. Natural gas, as usual, the one getting the most movement, is down 4.32%, $5.99 per thousand cubic feet, and gasoline down a third of a point, $2.68 per gallon. All your shiny metal rocks are in a hole in the ground. Gold, point, no, at 1.22%, down $1,629. Oh, somebody check on Peter Schiff for me. Silver is down 1.12%. Platinum is down over 3%. Copper is down 1.11%. Rose sticks. Palladium down 3.3%. I'm seeing a lot of threes today. What the hell is going on? Is that really an important number? Somebody please tell me in a boostagram. Ag is mixed. Wheat up scant. Soybeans down 1.1%. The biggest loser today is coffee, 5.37% to the downside. Cotton is the biggest winner, 4.5% to the up. And let's see, Dow, oh, <clears throat> well, okay, that's not bad. Dow is down scant, 0.05%. S&P, however, well over half a point to the downside. NASDAQ, one and a quarter percent to the downside. And S&P mini is down scant. Let's see what Bitcoin's doing. 20,256. That's not bad considering what the hell is going on. Uh, and that's also after 1.5 million BTC has exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value is five and a half BTC. The median transaction value is 0.024 or about 500 bucks. Block times are relatively high, 10 minutes and 22 seconds. And let's see here. We've got 0.14 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. Oh my, 20.36 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Lots of trading activity there. And with a 9.98% drop in hash rate, we're back down to 245.6 exahashes per second. I think, me thinks a miner may have uh, just capitulated. We'll talk about miner capitulation here after a little while. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 13.1 uh, United States pennies. So you can figure it out from there. 3,538 transactions awaiting three blocks to clear 389 yeah, $389 billion market cap is 3.61% of gold's market cap. And we can still purchase, if we so choose, 12.5 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,197,098.42 of and 5,000. 
136.9 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $104.1 million, being run over 16,481 nodes, sporting 78,418 payment channels, and 66.6% of all of it is run over Tor and its 11,655 associated nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Did we talk about minor capitulation? Here's a little bit of minor capitulation for you. Blockworks, Sebastian Sinclair. Oh, good. Oh, man. Sorry, guys. My computer decided to freak out on me. Uh, Bitcoin miner Iris Energy says its bad debt is contained in quote unquote rotten arms. That doesn't sound very good. Bitcoin miner Iris Energy remains defiant despite facing debt default on $103 million in loans that come due next week. In a recent SEC filing, the Australia-based firm said that while it can generate $2 million in monthly gross profit by mining Bitcoin, monthly principal and interest repayments on its debt stands at $7 million, representing a $5 million monthly shortfall. Iris Energy stock trades on the NASDAQ and fell 15% following the disclosure, now down more than 80% year-to-date. Macroeconomic factors, rising inflation, and a sharp hike in electricity prices are severely impacting miners' ability to turn a profit globally. Everywhere, y'all. Miners now find themselves in a very different market compared to just one year ago when many across the industry took out high-interest loans to fund rapid expansion. What have I been talking about? What have I been talking about? Stop dragging your broke-ass legacy financial way of thinking into the future. It doesn't survive here. That's like taking a fucking snow fox and throwing him in the middle of Death Valley. The two do not mix. It's oil and water. And there is no emulsifying agent like mustard powder. In case you guys didn't know, mustard powder is a really good emulsifier for mixing stuff like water and oil. Anyway, but it doesn't exist here. There's no emulsification, right? It's you're stop doing this. Stop, please. I'm begging future you to look at a high interest loan because everything is good and wonderful and the sun is shining as what it really is. A future of death and destruction. Whatever. Loans were commonly financed against Bitcoin mining machines, as is the case with Iris Energy. But, you know, now that prices are down and Bitcoin mining difficulty is high, multiple major operations have found themselves underwater, weighed down by unimaginable financial legacy debt obligations. Core Scientific one of the largest Bitcoin mining operations in the world, revealed last month it was considering restructuring its capital or seeking direct relief through bankruptcy, collapsing its stock price by more than 80%. Argo Blockchain, another major miner, has been feeling the pinch after an unnamed investor withdrew a $27 million capital injection at the 11th hour. The firm faces potential closure if it can't find fresh funding. Yes, fresh financial, legacy financial funding. That'll help. No, it won't. It's not going to, whatever. There are concerns that Iris Energy could suffer the same fate. But Baum Shin, vice president of corporate finance at Iris Energy, told Blockworks the company's bad debt is structured within a number of special purpose vehicles. Oh, joy. Iris Energy's SPVs, the special purpose vehicles, maintain a market value of approximately 65 to $75 million, about 35% less than its principal loans outstanding as of September's end. According to Shin, this means that debt is very much contained and shouldn't immediately lead to bankruptcy. Shin said that while an uneconomical market was not generating enough cash flow, Iris was engaged in ongoing discussions with its lender to shore up the situation. The executive declined to comment on what that lender or who that lender is. 
Should an agreement with its financial lender stall, Iris said in its update that neither of its SPVs would be able to make scheduled principal payments on its debt ahead of next Monday. The firm did say it's holding ongoing discussions with its mining equipment vendor Bitmain in a bid to unlock prepayments over time. Prepayments refer to the partial or full settlement of debt ahead of an official due date. Oh, once it's money back. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not good. Iris Energy immediately offloads its mined Bitcoin at market rate, which means it has averaged its way down from Bitcoin's highs last year. The contrasts, sorry, this contrast strategies uh, employed by some competitors, which only sell their Bitcoin when times get tough or rather not at all. Bitcoin's price has shrunk 68% from high seen 12 months ago when it was hovering just above $64,000. Bitcoin was trading at 20,350 as of Thursday morning. While registered in Sydney, Iris said it has three of its operations based in Canada, including a flagship data center operation in British Columbia. All operations are entirely powered by hydro at a set price of four cents per kilowatt hour, providing 12 month visibility of fixed cost. Well, at least that's one thing. Further expansion plans are anticipated in Childress County, Texas, which would happen very carefully, signaling the firm's intentions to move forward with its operations, BlockWorks was told. Iris floated plans to establish hosting services that would allow clients to mine Bitcoin for a fee without needing to build or invest in the infrastructure themselves, which it considers a significant growth opportunity. Oh, no, it's not. Remaining upbeat, Shin likened Iris's current situation to that of a healthy body with a rotten arm quote chop off the arm and the body survives he said in relation to the firm's spvs none of this is good for iris i doubt seriously that iris is going to survive just like a whole bunch of other miners that we've seen they they did what i've been talking about for like two weeks They dragged the legacy financial system along into the future with them, and it's a disease. And this particular disease is rampant through Iris and rampant through the mining industry, which is why I still think that the petroleum industry is going to come in and they are going to buy all this shit up at fire sale prices. Is is that what you really want? It's not that I think that that's necessarily bad, but I honestly, I'm not going rah-rah for it. I'm just saying that it's going to happen. They're the best positioned and also they're going to get the most benefit by doing this. And all of the miners right now, not all of them, there's a couple of them that have, you know, that weren't stupid, but for the, I think the great guts and feathers of the mining industry in, in so far as large mining operations have been very cavalier and very stupid about how they went about financing their operations, both building the operation itself, financing its future operations. It's all based on the legacy financial way of thinking, and it's caused them to catch a very bad case of the flu, and it's probably going to kill their ass. And who, but except in this case, we don't bury the dead body. ExxonMobil comes in and resurrects the corpse as a fucking necromancer and just goes on and does whatever it is that they want to do. That's what's going to happen. And if, if ExxonMobil and all the, the big you know, energy players, if they make the mistake of dragging the legacy financial system along for the ride into the future, they're going to find themselves in the exact same state, only it will probably take them much, much longer to figure out that they too are going to die and will be resurrected by yet some other necromancer. I don't really care. Because we got to talk about the missing crypto queen. Apparently, she has friends in very, very high places. Do you know who I'm talking about? David Z. Morris from Coindesk is probably going to jog your memory here. A long-term BBC investigation has discovered new and shocking, shocking details about one of the biggest Ponzi schemes of all time. OneCoin, which fraudulently branded itself as a cryptocurrency, appears to have received significant support from high-ranking government leaders in both the United Arab Emirates and Bulgaria. 
evidence suggests that included leaking details of an international police search to the fugitives who launched the scam. Even among cryptocurrency veterans and scam watchers, one coin is in some ways oddly forgotten. The crypto infected Ponzi scheme was launched way back in 2014 and was largely brought down by mid eh, 2017. Founder Ruja Ignatova disappeared on October the 25th, 2017, and has not been seen since. God dang, five years. That's a long time to disappear. This means OneCoin had largely faded from the public eye before the late 2017's frenzy of crypto speculation. But OneCoin was in some bleak sense a pioneer, proving that promises of crypto riches were effective bait for naive victims. Even though OneCoin never built an actual cryptocurrency, it managed to con people worldwide out of an estimated $4 billion. OneCoin was also the first big crypto scam to go global using multi-level marketing tactics, or more accurately, more accurately as a fraudulent pyramid scheme. That makes OneCoin a precursor to the much better known pyramid scheme, BitConnect. BitConnect mimicked much of OneCoin's approach, but has a more prominent place in crypto lore because frankly, the memes were better. But Jamie Bartlett and an investigative team at the UK's BBC have been paying very close attention to OneCoin. Starting in 2019, Bartlett and company released a podcast called The Missing Crypto Queen, chronicling their attempts to track down Ignatova. The series ran for just over a year, producing nine episodes of fascinating but ultimately inconclusive digging. Quote, The Missing Crypto Queen, I'm oh, sorry, that's not quote, that's the name of the thing. The Missing Crypto Queen uncovered strong evidence that one coin was more than just a massive pyramid scheme. Most strikingly, Bartlett and his team found many hints that Ignatova was tied to shadowy figures capable of real violence, quite possibly Eastern European organized crime. <laughs> the show seems to have nudged global law enforcement to take the case more seriously, with the Federal Bureau of Investigation adding Ignatova to its most wanted list in late June of 2022. Bartlett even published a book earlier this year, seeming to put a cap on his team's efforts, but Ignatova still has yet to be found. Then, after more than a two-year hiatus, Bartlett and co. returned in late September with shocking new evidence. One coin wasn't simply a mob scheme. It appears the scammers had government backing from not one, but two different governments. First, Bartlett's team received secret documents indicating that Ignatova worked with Sheikh Fasil bin Sultan al-Qasami, a royal of the United Arab Emirates, to release funds that had been frozen over suspicion of money laundering. Ignatova also appears to have bought a $20 million via in the UAE, which may be where she has been hiding out for half a decade now. But the most shocking new discovery by Bartlett and his team is evidence that elements within the Bulgarian government were actively helping the OneCoin scammers stay one step ahead of international police. These new revelations highlight a frightening consequence of the rise of huge global financial frauds in the digital age. Their ability to bring in huge amounts of money can easily attract the involvement of very powerful and dangerous figures, including both mobsters and corrupt government officials. In fact, BitConnect may have taken this page from the OneCoin book as well. Though it got little play at the time in the West, Indian legislatures, legislators accused the ruling BJP of complicity in that fraud. Two new episodes of The Missing Crypto Queen are available now, and Bartlett and his team are promising at least one more that is coming soon. <clears throat> so just when we thought it was all over, here it comes again. And with Bulgaria involved and the United Arab Emirates, none the, no less. Okay. Okay. So now we're at the government level of collusion. Okay. We're, we've got Eastern European mafia. We've got Eastern European mafiesque governments, i.e. Bulgaria, and now the UAE is in on this shit too, if all this is true. And I don't know, I wasn't there, I'm not part of Bartlett & Co., but let's say it is. How do you defend yourself against this shit? 
you buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin, you don't sell your Bitcoin and you buy more Bitcoin and you hold it. You don't buy something like wrapped Bitcoin. You don't buy a token that is quote unquote backed by Bitcoin. No, 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 no. If you can't afford a whole Bitcoin and many people can't, then buy just a little bit of it. If you still don't know that that can be done, then you are brand new to this audience and I welcome you. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. I, don't, I haven't heard that said in, in a long time. Maybe we should get back to it. But the only way to protect yourself against all of this is to actually hold Bitcoin itself, not something backed by Bitcoin and not something that you were told was Bitcoin. If you need help determining if you own Bitcoin or not, reach out for help. Do not provide your seed words ever. Just ask people, maybe on Bitcoin Twitter, how do I know if my Bitcoin is real Bitcoin? How can I make sure? And you'll be directed to articles and podcasts and everything that you need to determine whether or not you're getting hosed. That was one of the, that's one of the things that always went on is that you were promised a token if you would send them your Bitcoin and you never got your Bitcoin back. And people like Ignatova took your money and God only knows what she owns with your Bitcoin. Don't do it. Now, BTC markets are entering a new phase in potential accumulation season. Yes, this is when you should be accumulating. And it is written by Glenn Williams for Coindesk says, call the current crypto winter season of accumulation. Bitcoin and shitcoin number one significant decline in recent months is providing bullish investors the opportunity to accumulate at a favorable cost basis. Larger crypto investors are continuing to explore the opportunity. Bitcoin has been trading in a narrow range for nearly five full months with support at about 19,000 a good portion of the time. Shitcoin one dipped below some price. I don't give a fuck. Now both have stepped up a rung and support above $20,000 for Bitcoin. The increase comes amid a fourth consecutive 75 basis point interest rate hike by the Federal Open Market Committee in the Federal Reserve's fierce battle to stem inflation without throwing the U.S. economy into a steep recession. Crypto markets have largely responded to the central bank's monetary gyrations and other macroeconomic events, usually rising with encouraging news and dipping when investors are more pessimistic. Such reactions are normal in asset markets of all stripes. During the recent rate hikes, BTC's average true range has de declined approximately 71%. Yet, the pattern has differed in one respect. Bitcoin and Shitcoin One have displayed less volatility than traditional assets. Will that tra trend change? Well, will the latest robust interest rate hike on Wednesday jar markets? Oh my God! In remarks following the Fed's announcement, Chair Jerome Powell reiterated the bank's months-long commitment to quell rising prices, but a Fed statement earlier in the day offered investors some hope that the present monetary hawkishness would end in the near future. And we've already been over that statement. That's the dovish versus versus, versus hawkish situation. Anyway, asset managers will then surely and wisely take advantage of this likely upturn. A recent commitment of traders report showed that asset managers have increased their long positions in BTC while reducing their short positions. Asset managers open interest in BTC is now 88% long and 12% short. That's up from 84% long the prior week. <clears throat> As asset managers generally hold larger sums of deployable capital, they have the ability to sway market prices with their activities. Looking on chain, the BTC exchange stablecoin ratio implies a sense of bullishness. The tool essentially measures the volume of stablecoins on exchanges to the amount of BTC present. As the ratio declines, it implies growing buying power because investors generally move stablecoins onto exchanges prior to purchasing an asset. Whether asset managers are picking the right point to go long will play out over the next 12 months, 
but they appear to be ahead of the curve. So more and more people going long on Bitcoin. And yeah, shitcoin won. Except for this Australian asset manager who is delisting Bitcoin and shitcoin won ETFs after only six months of time. <laughs> this is my capitulation piece. This You're about to hear what true capitulation really looks like. And this is part of the bottom forming in Bitcoin. Alice Key is writing this one for Decrypt.co. The asset manager behind two of Australia's first crypto exchange traded funds has applied to delist the much hyped investment vehicles just a few months after launch. The fund responsible for Cosmos Asset Management's ETF said in a letter to local securities and derivatives exchange CBOE that it would be applying to revoke its Bitcoin and shitcoin one funds from the market. The Cosmos Purpose Bitcoin Access ETF, the CBTC, and the Cosmos Purpose Shitcoin One Access ETF, the CPET, were both launched in May of this year alongside two rival funds, which listed the same day, marking the first funds to be listed on the Australian stock market. Another fund that invested in crypto mining firms under the ticker DIGA will also be pulled from the market. So even a mining instrument is being pulled from this shit. Capitulation, the process of launching the funds has been a slow one, hit by delays right up until the last moment before listing. By the time the CBTC began trading on May 12th of 2022, the crypto world was in meltdown over the collapse of the Terra ecosystem. The resulting bear market is thought to have contributed to Cosmos's difficulties, with sources telling the Australian Financial Review <clears throat> that the firm struggled to get enough traction to cover the high costs of running the fund. In its six months of trading, the price of Cosmos CBTC ETF fell by 19%, while CPET was down by about 13.8%. Trading of both was halted on Monday. <clears throat> Cosmos had previously been owned by NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner Mawson in Infrastructure, which operates mining sites in both the United States as well as Australia. But the business decided to sell Cosmos after deciding it didn't want to be in the long game of ETFs, Mawson's chief executive James Manning told the AFR. Uh, Decrypt has contacted Cosmos with a request for comment, but hasn't heard anything yet. Cosmos worked with Canadian firm Purpose Investment and custody specialist Gemini Trust to set up the funds. K2 Asset Management is the entity responsible for both CBTC and CPET, while one investment group has responsible responsibility for the DIGA, that's that mining ETF. Despite the delistings, Chief Executive Dan Annan said in a statement that the AFR uh, to the AFR that the firm still strongly believes in the asset class. That's why we're getting out. Meanwhile, two rival funds launched by ETF specialist Graham Tuckwell, which began trading on the same day as Cosmos Vehicle, are still going, but they have not been immune to the market downturn. At current prices, the Global X 21 shares ETF was down by 18% on its initial May trading while the global X21 shares of uh, shitcoin one ETF was down by only 6.4%. Today, Bitcoin is trading hands at roughly $20,000 and shitcoin one at whatever, I don't give a shit. Okay, so this is capitulation. This is what capitulation looks like. You've got major players that work their asses off to try to get an exchange traded fund going in Australia, and when they finally, when, when they find everybody and all the lawmakers and all the regulators and all the guys that had to stamp their little pieces of paper and all the bullshit that they thought was so fucking important, by the time they got all that shit done, the meal was cold. The steak was ice cold. Good job, guys. Excellent work. See, this is why I don't really give a shit if we get a Bitcoin ETF in America. I do think that it's important later on because in very many ways, due to laws and regulations, pension funds can't directly hold the asset that is Bitcoin unless there's an exchange traded fund. And this is just part of the confusion of regulation, which is why I always wonder why people want even more regulation. 
You mean you want more confusion? That's what you're saying. But in either event, this is capitulation. These are, these are, this represents a shit ton of work by a lot of people. And after only six months, they're pulling them off the market. That's capitulation. This is a BTC bottom actually forming. This and all the mining stuff that you're seeing, that's what you should be looking at. Not the price of Bitcoin. It's the effects of the price of Bitcoin that you should be looking at. And we are starting to see a bottom form. Will, does that mean it won't go to 14,000? No, I have no idea. All I know is that a bottom is forming. I'm not looking at the price. I'm looking at the effects of the price. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. <clears throat> Jeannie comes up and says, I shall grant you three wishes. I say, well, I wish for a world without lawyers. Jeannie says, done. You have no more wishes. But you told me I had three wishes. Yeah? Sue me. I don't know what a world with no lawyers would look like. I honestly wonder if it would be better or not. <laughs> it's weird. Um, we are in, we're starting to see the, the very, very break points cracking apart with capitulation and this, uh, this particular crypto winter. If you have not seen these before, we have. If you're wondering what comes next, Ask on Bitcoin Twitter. You know, somebody, somebody, maybe even me will answer. I'm trying to spend a little bit less time on Twitter and more time on Macedon and not because of the Elon Musk thing. I, I, I don't care. He may run it into the ground. He may make it better. It may stay just as borked as it has been for years. I, I don't know. I don't care. But I've, I've been doing a, uh, spending a lot of time on Macedon lately. Here's, and here's the way that, that this works. Macedon is a federated social media platform that looks a lot like Twitter, but is nowhere close to as centralized as Twitter is. So I am on the bitcoinhackers.org instance of the Fediverse is basically the best way to say it. I use Mastodon as my window into the Fediverse, but there are other things that you can use. I happen to like Mastodon. I'm using some other stuff, but I'm not on Mastodon. I'm on the Fediverse, the Federated Multiverse, I guess is another way to actually look at that. And my instance, bitcoinhackers.org, if, you know, that's no, uh, Rodolfo Novak from CoinKite, that's his instance. He set it up a long time ago and I am one of the members of it, and I've been on there for years and years. Um, I don't think he's accepting new new people. So you can get on, like, uh, I think No Agenda Social uh, is another instance of uh, the Fediverse, and that's run by the folks over there at No Agenda, Adam Curry, uh, John C. Dvorak, and all those guys. And I think they've got some slots open. And if you get on their instance, unless I follow you, I may not, I may or may not see what you have to say. If I follow you, I definitely will. It's it's different, okay? It's different. But what why I'm why the hell am I even getting into this at the very end of the show? Give it a shot. Go look up how to do Mastodon and the what the Fediverse is, because it's probably something that you're gonna want to get into as we move forward with the whole Elon Musk taking over Twitter thing. Like I said, I don't know what he's gonna do, but it's good to have options. And the Fediverse is the best option that we've got so far. And it's seen a huge growth <laughs> since uh, the must takeover. Uh, but one of the ways that I use Fediverse or the uh, my instance or the way, the way that I interact with the Fediverse is this way. I have both my Twitter account at Ghost of Nunya. That's a Ghost of Nunya, if you didn't know, uh, on Twitter. <clears throat> and I have... Nunya business over the, on Bitcoin hackers. I've set up Moa Bridge, M O A dot, I think it's Moa Party. 
and I think it's moa.party. Just look, for, just Google or whatever MOA party, MOA uh, space party, you'll find it. And I can connect my Twitter account to my Bitcoin hackers Mastodon instance. And every time, and I've got it mind set up in a way that every time I tweet something from Twitter, it automatically gets propagated the same way and tooted out on Mastodon. And if I toot something on Mastodon, it automatically toots the same thing on Twitter. If I reply to somebody on Twitter, it doesn't go to Mastodon, although I could set it up that way. If I reply to somebody on Mastodon, it doesn't propagate to my Twitter account because I can set it up that way. And I don't use Twitter on my phone. I only use Twitter on my desktop. And that way that forces me to use the Fediverse and get very comfortable with it because I don't have Twitter on my phone. Otherwise, I would neglect the Fediverse and I wouldn't understand what's going on. And what you have to understand what's going on is that the Fediverse is growing at an exponential rate as of this moment. It would be it would behoove you and do you well to go find an instance in the Fediverse and become part of that instance and start following people from other instances. You can do the same thing. You look for hashtags, look for hashtag Bitcoin and see who's tweeting about it. If you want to follow all the guys on in the Fediverse that do uh, Bitcoin stuff and ask me, I've got a, I've got a tutorial on it, how to use the, the MOA bridge and MOA party. Ask me and I will throw you, I will, you know, resubmit that to Twitter uh, so that you can go to that thread and find out how to use, set up Mastodon and, and get into the Fediverse and how to use MOA party and all that kind of shit. So do that, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.